One of life's greatest questions is, what happens to us after we die? Is death the end or a new beginning? Welcome to the Round Trip Death Podcast. In this show, we listen to first-hand accounts of people who have gone beyond the veil and return to talk about it. Okay, we are really happy to have on the show today with us Jeff Fusco. And his story is so interesting. I heard him on a panel at the recent IONS conference in Salt Lake City and just had to have him as a guest on the show because he is someone that had COVID in the very early days of COVID when our doctors and hospitals didn't really know what to do with it and how to treat it very well. So we'll get into that. Anyway, hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Eric. And uh, how are you today? I'm good. And what part of the country are you in? I live in Ohio, uh, Canfield, Ohio, which is a suburb of the Youngstown area. Um, if you drew a straight line between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, we're just about in the middle at the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania. Okay. And what do you do for a living? Tell us a little bit about you. I, uh, Prior to being sick with COVID, I worked at a company called GBS Corp. And it's a high-tech productivity firm that helps businesses improve their productivity, whether it's through print, advertising, marketing, IT, software services, cloud hosting infrastructure. So I had the opportunity to work with such a great team of people for almost 36 years at this same company. Uh, It's an employee-owned company, has great leadership across the board, and a very strong employee ownership team. So that was a blessing that... uh, you can only look back on after you leave and realize how amazing it was. I always knew it was special. It's my second family and still is to this day. But um, after COVID, it was really not possible for me to return in my position. I was the EVP for our iTech Solutions Group, uh, actually in, headquartered in Youngstown, Ohio. North Canton, Ohio is the headquarters of GBS Corp. I, by the way, love your voice. Sounds like some kind of gangster or something. Was that a gift of COVID or have you always had that? Yeah, this is this is a gift of COVID. And um, I, it's funny, but I do get a lot of compliments. So now I'll tell you just a funny story. I was at a restaurant um, in, uh, met, it, it's kind of a speakeasy type style restaurant. So when we sat down, the, the manager come over and said, Hey, do you want to work our door a couple hours a night? Just welcoming <laughs> guests. I was like, oh, you're cracking me up. But uh, I must I must have the voices. I'm not faking it. This is just what it is. Yeah. It was a lot different before. I'd love to hear you sing some ballads or something. Isn't that something? Yeah. Anyway, tell us what happened. When did COVID catch up to you? Yeah. Yeah. I was one of the early, uh, sadly, one of the early folks that got it. I got it in March of 2020. I I believe I had it for probably a few weeks fighting it off. And I was feeling pretty rough around the edges and I would, I was developing a cough and I was breaking out in sweats and fevers and it'd go away and all these different things. And I really didn't know what it was. I actually went out with some friends and the next morning on a Saturday morning, I woke up and I really was completely wiped out. Couldn't barely talk with exhaustion. Couldn't open my eyes. Couldn't focus. Pain was starting. Headache. Um, 
my fever was going crazy. And I thought, oh, geez, I'm, you know, I'm probably have the flu. So, yeah. Now this is back before, this is back before there was any testing. You just run out and get a COVID test. And was this right before everything shut down or about the same time? It was uh, just before. Okay. It was just, it was just before I went in the hospital, I think it was March 22nd or 24th. Um, so things were, I guess, in the process of shutting down there, but I'd gone to the urgent care um, and they tested me for both influenzas and said, well, you're probably just run down, you know, it might be uh, dehydrated. It just continued to get worse. And four days after that, I was at a point where I couldn't even function. I couldn't move, couldn't eat, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't drink water. Everything was, you know, as sick as can possibly be. So urgent care actually sent you home. Yeah. Even though you were real sick already. They tested. They did a good job seeing me. The, you know, very great place here in Boardman. 9-11 rapid care. They did a really good job. And they were as thorough as they could possibly be. They didn't have access to COVID tests. Because I asked them. I said, what's happened to be? They said, you know, we, we just don't have the test to know. And at that time... I, I was not aware of where you could even go get one. And um, again, it was probably one of the furthest things from my mind. I didn't really know what it was, but I knew it wasn't something normal. And um, again, that fourth day, I got to the point where my wife said, okay, you have to go to the hospital. There's something wrong. I managed to get a shower. It was now evening. And we got to the emergency room probably around 10 o'clock. And I walked in, she was parking the car, hobbled in, got to the doors, automatic doors, and walked in. There was an officer working at the at the one security desk, and someone was talking to him, and they both looked at me really funny. And he says, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And I fell right over. Wow. And I was collapsed right in the emergency room. And I always mention that the side joke to that is if you ever need to bypass registration, just collapse in the middle of emergency. So you collapsed on the floor and then what? Next thing I knew I was uh, being picked up and put on a gurney and rushed right into the back. And they started checking me out and again, testing me for the influenza is nothing. And uh, again, told my wife, well, we think he's dehydrated. I obviously was dehydrated because I wasn't able to keep any water down or anything for four days. And um, at that point, and I was just kind of still in and out of reality, delirious wise, and just feeling really sick. And he said, you know, we're going to get him some fluids, get him IVs, and probably be able to take him home in a couple hours. And she goes, there's, listen, there's something wrong. He's never been like this. He's sicker than you can even imagine. And can't you just at least keep him overnight? And they, they said, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. So the dehydration was a symptom. It wasn't the problem. No, right. Yeah. And it just kept progressing and progressively got getting worse. But it, within four days after that, they did know that I had COVID. They did the test and sent it out and got it back. And it um, came back positive. 
And at that point, I was moving from different one floor to the other in the hospital, moving, moving through. But people were coming, talking, asking how I was feeling. I was still not good, but I was, you know, aware that I was sick. And it just continued to get worse. And eventually my breathing got to the point that they put me on a ventilator. And I remained on the ventilator for 21 days. My fever was staying steady at about 104 for two straight weeks. And they packed me in ice all the time, trying to get the fever down. They were trying all kinds of different medicines. Nothing was working. Then it's, it hit my kidneys and I got put on full dialysis um, throughout the entire time in the hospital there. And everything was starting to fail. It started going vascular, which is a really rare version, I guess, of a bad extreme case of COVID where it was hitting my intestines and my small capillaries. And I started to bleed. And then I started to bleed profusely and they were giving me transfusions. And when I tell you the number, you'll think I'm crazy, but it's not crazy. It's what it was. Over the course of a short period of time, throughout this month in this this particular hospital, I was moved through two hospitals, Mercy Health Systems here in Youngstown. Did a very good job trying everything possible. Um, and I just couldn't stop bleeding. They kept doing surgeries and were trying to stop the bleeding on my intestines. And it uh, was just, you know, looking bad. And again, I was on the ventilator as high fever, packed in ice, to the point where they had given me 60 units of blood, platelets, and plasma, which is about three and a half times your body, I guess, from what I understand. Normal blood, it was bleeding that much. They were running out of the blood supply in town. They would call my wife at home and ask, you know, if it was a, you know, they'd have to get more blood somewhere else, and she'd okay it and kept going through that and they kept updating my wife and mom my family on my condition which kept deteriorating to the point that um they called home and said it, at this point um they knew that my family was praying my wife and my mother and dad and friends and everybody were praying and um i said it's not looking good they had palliative care get on the phone and said that, um, you know, you might even want to stop praying at this point because with the amount of blood loss that he's had, the high fever, the lack of oxygen, we're looking at about two hours for him to live right now. And even if for some strange miracle reason or otherwise he makes it, his future, he's going to not come home the same person that he was before, more than likely. And um, they want to know what that meant. They said it was, you know, probably restricted to a wheelchair, unable to walk, be on a feeding tube, uh, in a nursing home with probable brain damage for the rest of his life. Right. Now, with you that close to to death, did they give your family an opportunity to visit you at that point? I know, I know hospitals weren't letting visitors in. Yeah, but at that by that time I was in continuing to get worse that entire month. Um they couldn't let anybody in. They wouldn't let anybody in. 
So I was in complete isolation the whole time in the hospital and really no contact. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have anything. Occasionally they would put the phone up to my ear and I could hear people talk. I wasn't able to communicate, but I knew that they were talking to me. Right. So you were awake most of this time. You weren't in a coma or anything. No, I think they actually, for the whole 21 days on the ventilator, you're pretty much in paralytic coma. They actually paralyze your body with the drugs. And, okay. And you're, you're out of it. But I could hear. And I, I could, you know, hear things going on and not entirely sure, you know, <clears throat> I lost track of time, those, t- those kind of things. Yeah. So at what point did you go over the edge? As far as my experience or? To the point where your body was done and you had an NDE experience. They had stopped me bleeding a couple of times and start again. Right at Easter. Uh, throughout that weekend. And then the following week after that, I continued to get bad again, needing more transfusions. <clears throat> and that's when they called home and uh, gave me the two hours, gave my family the two hours, which I didn't know. I'd been requesting. I did have some underlying conditions, but not that I was ever, you know, in a strained position being in a hospital or anything. And I'd requested to go to uh, the Cleveland Clinic um, early on if it, if I got sicker because of that. And they just have more resources. By no picture, don't want to paint a picture. Our hospitals didn't do a good job. They worked like crazy. I just, at that point, um, I thought if they need more resource, I could be at this other facility. And so the doctor... Uh, did another surgery on me, got the bleeding stopped and actually um, noted that when I know there's requested a transfer and this looks like the only time, if there is going to be a time, but they warned um, that I probably wouldn't survive the elevator ride, let alone a helicopter ride. But said, if you want to try, we'll try. So at that point they said, well, yeah, my family had said, Let's go ahead and do it. It's almost over anyways. Let's try. So they did bring me up enough to the point where they had me in the gurney out in the parking lot to get in the helicopter uh, life flight. And the last thing I remember is they strapping me in and I'm all wrapped up. And I just said how cold it was to the, I'm assuming pilot, I don't know who it was. And it said, you ready to go for a ride? And I said, yeah. And that would have been a Thursday night. Keep in mind that I was that sick, but they brought me up enough to get in the helicopter. I was still on a ventilator. I could barely, I can only, you know, I couldn't really talk like we're talking here with the ventilator, obviously with the tubes and everything. And um, between that life flight being taken to the hospital in Cleveland, but it's a 20 minute flight out of in Thursday night till Saturday. That's when I had my experience. Come Saturday morning, I was, Awake, I was having dialysis taken off, the cath taken out, being able to get something to eat, oxygen winded down, and my x-rays were clearing up as if maybe this never happened. It happened, and I mean, it was I was still testing positive, even at that time. Six weeks I tested positive. 
So this is like 36 hours you had a complete turnaround. That's exactly what I was trying to say. And is that because the Cleveland Hospital had some magical thing they were able to do? They were great too, but I I experienced a, a miracle that changed my life. And what I tell people is as bad and rough and sad as COVID was because I'd lost some friends from COVID. And I was I was even unaware one of my friends was in the ICU next to me. Not because we saw each other before, but I was unaware that he had even gotten sick and passed away. So it was hard. And they never told me those things until I actually was recovered and ready, got ready to just come home. But so my heart goes out to all these folks that have dealt with it. And my heart goes out to the hospital workers who literally were working from what I you know, saw from my, my perspective uh, when I was awake and alert, um, they, they were going above and beyond in every single way possible, working endless hours, all these shifts. But no, at that time, they had tried every kind of medicine, everything, the multiple surgeries. Dr. Ornelas did do amazing surgeries to get the blood stopped and um, helped me uh, get out. And my local doctor here, Shaheen, and another team of doctors had over 100 working on me throughout this entire two month period. And um, they all did good. So my, I really don't just say that. I know that they worked so hard. The nurses were amazing. But 36 hours, it was the experience that I had, whether it was in the helicopter after it landed or whatever. Um, that's when I just miraculously got better. And it actually says in my medical record, miraculously recovered because they couldn't figure out what or why. And every single day, doctors would come in and interview, interview me. And I kept saying, why all the questions? What's, what, what is she, the one doctor, she said, uh, she goes, Jeff, she goes, the truth of it is, we haven't had any patients as sick as you at this point live to tell us anything. Yeah, so they wanted to know your secret sauce so they could duplicate it. Everything, whether... And then there was questionnaires, you know, everything from brushing your teeth, to use mouthwash, this, that, everything else, favorite foods. I mean, it was, they were really trying to build a database of information so that they could learn and study and, um, you know, help people out. So they were committed to success in every which way possible to help people, but yeah. they were overrun. At the Cleveland Clinic, it was closed. They closed the whole hospital. Wow. There's three floors of COVID patients. Nothing else. And you've said the word miracle twice now. Tell us about it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the most important thing from this whole experience is I was in the hospital in my experience and my parents appeared right in front of me, took it a little bit to the left of me and I'm looking at them and my dad says, uh, Jeff, it's okay if you want to go, if you if you've had enough and you're tired and you want to go. I just want you to know everything's going to be okay. We've talked to Teresa, which is my wife, and the kids. It's okay if you want to go. Everything's going to be fine. I said, okay, um, where do you want me to go? Now, keep in mind, my parents are both alive right now, still to this day. Okay. and But were they at the hospital, or did you just – you said they appeared. Yeah, they, no, they weren't. This is how everything started. And I said, well, 
you know, where do you want me to go? And my dad didn't say anything. And then my wife appeared next to my parents and the kids are back behind her. And my dad said, you know, Teresa, let him know, you know, that it is okay if he wants to go. And she's kind of sobbing a little bit. And she says, it's okay if you, if, if you want to go, we'll be fine. But if you can keep fighting, keep fighting, is what she said. And I said, okay, I'm getting a little bit like, what, what are you trying, trying to tell me? Where do you want me to go? And I'm being pretty adamant. And my dad still won't answer. So I said, look, where I'm in the hospital, keep telling me I can go if I want. Where do you want me to go? And my dad said, I think you need to talk to him. And he pointed back to behind me a little bit. And as I started to turn this way to, to look behind me where he's pointing, I was immediately wrapped and pulled right into God's lap, Jesus' lap. And I knew everything about where I was. I knew who I was with. I knew, I mean, I had a connection to being on earth. I was still wanting to know where go meant. I was being hugged and I was looking over his shoulder and it felt really big and he was arms wrapped all the way around me. And I kept looking over the shoulder and looked like I could walk out above the clouds to would look like heaven and gates and it was all beautiful. Things were going on. And I, I said, oh my God, I had the realization moment that it's really real. Everything is, is real. It's just amazing. It's perfect. I'm totally at peace. I don't, I am absolutely satisfied to go. At that moment, I remembered my wife said, but it didn't really impact me any. And God says to me, he says, Jeff, you're really sick. And if you want to come home with me, we can go. But if you want to stay, it's okay too. And I was like perfectly fine in both. Like, I was like, this is perfect. Everything is absolutely perfect. And that's when it uh, dawned on me what my wife said about fighting. And I said to him, I said, are you sure it's okay if I stay? Meaning go back, come home. I mean, back to earth. And he chuckled and he says, you do know you're talking to, right? And I said, yeah, I think so. So he has a sense of humor. I love that. Yeah. Well, and I did, I forgot to mention when I was pulled on his lap, I wasn't the 56 year old man that I was. I was now the five-year-old little boy known as Jeffy at the time. And I looked down and I had the same striped shirt on that I had on when I was five years old in a terrible car accident. And I was hit like an absolute affirmation moment where everything came to full circle. And I realized that the feeling that I've had in my whole life of an extra layer of protection or um, just confident that, you know, I was okay. Always, always felt that way. I was never afraid of anything. And, probably to the point where I got myself in 
bad situations and trouble, but I always managed to be okay. And I always had that feeling. Well, now I knew what it was. I knew from the time that I was little and I had the little striped shirt on in that bad car accident to the time I'm sitting in God's lap in his arms that he's been with me my whole life. It was a vivid start affirmation moment for me, but it happened like in a split second. You know, it wasn't something It was part of the, while he was talking to me and telling me it was okay either way. But I, when I asked him if it was okay, if I stayed and he said, you know, you know, you're talking to, he followed up with, yes, it's okay. You'll do good work for me in either place. And I said, okay, well, if it's okay, if I stay, then I'll stay. All because of what my wife said when she was standing here next to my parents in division of if you can keep fighting, keep fighting. Otherwise, I was really okay. And I've come to realize that I was okay either way. And I'll, I'll share more about that a little bit later as to what I finally figured out about the experience, what it really meant today versus that very second moment of complete affirmation that God was with me my whole life. He carried me through all the storms and he was there for me at the probably most important moment of, you know, my life at that time. And I was good either way. And I realized what had happened in when, on Saturday, that 30 some hours later, I was like overjoyed with, with, um, what, what just took place. I told my mom, I told my wife, I told my uh, boss, who's a spiritual mentor of mine at work. It, uh, his name's Eugene um, Calabria. And he's, he, he's um, been instrumental in many people's lives and helping them in their faith walk. But we've worked together for over 35 years. So we got to really build a good spiritual foundation, you know, talk about God, pray, all those things. Shared with him what happened. But I verified with everybody the timeline of when I was the sickest because I knew that it was at the end of the road that this all took place. So I knew that it was, that's how I knew that it was during that helicopter or shortly thereafter that it all took place. And because that's when I was at my sickest. It just kept, I just kept being overjoyed with what took place. I started praying with the nurses. And I was sharing my story with the people at the hospital. And I only had a couple people that said, you know, delirium is a pretty powerful thing. And you're on a lot of medicine. And, you know, so, yeah, it's nice. But this, you know, you got to realize you were in this state of mind. And I said, no, I, I'm, I'm totally aware of that. I had all kind of dreams. I know that the dreams were dreams. I had crazy, you know, whether you call it hallucinations or whatever. How can you tell the difference between this and a hallucination or a dream? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, uh, I, the only thing I could say is if you ever ask anybody that, they will just tell you, you know, it's absolutely different. The dreams that I was having, I could tell you some of those, the hallucination stuff, um, the wonders where you're at and floating and that, but yeah, you, you, I, you have all that, but this was a tangible interaction that was complete peace complete realization of everything in in one shot 
And was this mostly a feeling, like feeling that you were on God's lap as a child, or did you actually see him and see things around also and experience other things there? No, I went from where my parents were in the room, transitioning into a high-walled, big wooden room, and that where as soon as he pulled me in, I was now out of the hospital. I was in the big wooden room, looking out over his shoulder to looking like I could go out above the clouds. And it really did look like uh, stone gates and everything was there. And there was people and things going on or things that wasn't necessarily people and faces going on. And I kept looking over his shoulder and I did not see his face, but there was physical holding me sitting on his lap. And I was at a hundred percent. I knew who I was with. I know he knew me. I knew him. And that realization, you know, it's all true, was just pouring into me. That everything, my whole life came, that he's with me my whole life. And, and, I, and I just absolutely knew it. And there's even more of the, the experience that goes on after I was praying with the nurses. I was praying with the nurses. Some of them would actually cry and break down. And, uh, and I never did that stuff before. I just had to share the story. And a lot of them were over, overjoyed and overwhelmed in positive ways. And some had their own breakthroughs and wanting to get closer in their faith. And uh, it was probably a week or so after that, that um, I'm now, you know, about just approaching six weeks in the hospital. Haven't seen or been with anybody, you know, no family. I'm in total isolation. You barely get to see anybody come in the room during COVID. You'd have to gown up and change. And it wasn't like you could ever have a, you know, tangible, lengthy conversation. So I'm desperate to get out of the hospital. I'm in bad shape still physically. I could barely use my hands. I can't walk. I could hardly talk at all. Um, but I knew I was going to, you know, be okay at that point. And at least I thought I was. And about three o'clock in the morning, and I know this because I was, I was always looking at the clock because I was at that point really getting, you know, I, I had to get out of the hospital in my mind. I was like, I'm tired. I've been here for six weeks. I have to go. And um, a gentleman appears out of my left side again, really well-dressed, dark gray suit, dark complexion skin, glasses. And I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the CEO of the hospital. That's really who I thought it was. And I was like, they're going to let me go. And <clears throat> he says, so here you want to go home? I said, oh yeah, like, like you don't know. Uh, yeah, I have to. He says, I can, I can help you with that. And I go, oh my gosh, that's great. What, what do I have to do? And I'm expecting him to say, well, you have to sign papers or, you have to do X, Y, Z things to prove we could get you, you know, out of here. And I just want to know what those things were. And I was so excited because it was three o'clock and I thought, well, you know, it's maybe the CEO actually did come see me because I was pretty sick and they're going to let me go. And he's just going to, you know, thank me and I'm going to thank him and things are going to be great. Our conversation, he still doesn't say who he was and, he says, I, you know, so do you want to go home? And I said, yeah, absolutely. He says, okay, um, I can help you. And again, I said, so what do I have to do? 
He said, well, really, don't worry about that. And I said, well, no, I mean, I got to do something, right? And he's like, don't worry. I says, who are you? And he says, oh, just don't. You just want to get out of here, right? I can help you. And, um, again, yes, but who are you? And what do I have to do? And he says, don't worry about who I am, but I can get you out. And really, it's don't worry about what you got to do. It's just a couple little things. Like, for starters, <clears throat> you could stop praying with the nurses and talking all that God nonsense to them. And I said, I know who you are. And I leave me alone. Please leave me alone. I won't, I won't follow you. I followed you. I said, listen, I don't want anything to do with you. And I'm scared now. Just leave me alone. He said, are you sure? Yep. And he fades away. Keep in mind, I was getting better. I was all excited, praying with the nurses, telling everybody how great everything was for me. And we're getting ready to get released. The next day, I'm bleeding again. My vitals are off the charts. They're putting more IVs in. Now they're going to put a pick line in. And um, they did put the pick line in. But it was like I'm right back into a bad place. Now, keep in mind, I was still testing positive, even though I was really getting better. And that night, now I'm scared. I think maybe I'm never going home. Maybe he got me, and I'm never going home. So I get through the day okay, and I'm, you know, back to the night. Because I was losing track of day and night, you know, I wouldn't be really sure I'd always look at the clock and look out the window and um, there it comes three o'clock in the morning again, same guy dressed the same way. And he says, Hmm, I see you're sick again. How about that? And I said, yeah. And he said, have you had time to think about what we talked about? And I said, yes. And I will not follow you. Please leave me alone. I said, listen, Live or die, I will not follow you. Jesus was there for me when I was ready to pass with no strings attached. Didn't have to do anything. You're here looking for me, and I have to do favors for you, for you to help me. So, honest, leave me alone. Please leave me alone. I will not follow you, no matter what. And he said, are you sure again? I said, yes. And this time I had this feeling of, he said, okay, and faded away that he truly understood that he wasn't going to get me and I wasn't going to agree. And it was evil that was standing in front of me, whether it was an evil spirit, devil, I am not sure exactly, but it was evil, pure evil. And at that time I had that feeling as he respected that I was not going to follow him and God won again. I was again, overjoyed and happy stayed up all night that night till seven o'clock in the morning um, to call my boss again, tell him what just happened. And I said, this, I can assure you, I am okay. Now I'm going to be okay. And um, tell my mom and my wife and everybody who guys able to talk to in the morning, they would always come in with the phone I didn't have a cell phone at the time with me or anything but 
So I started getting better again right after that. And to put full circle to this whole thing was there was a gentleman coming in my room in the Cleveland Clinic and he would clean and sanitize and mop and sweep. And this is uh, the following week after this evil experience took place. He comes in and he does his work and he's sweeping up and cleaning, sanitizing, mop and sweeping. And this guy would never acknowledge, and I, I could only whisper a little bit, but I used to always try to make small talks. How you doing? Thank you. I'll, you know, never would even acknowledge me. And this day he walks into my room and he walks straight up to my bed, leans on his broom or mop handle, stares me down, stares right into my eyes. And he stares at me so powerful that I sink into my pillow. And he looks right at me and he says, keep the faith, brother. Keep the faith. God has a plan for you. And I just can answer with, I will. There was nothing else I could say. And that, again, was that moment of affirmation is that God was saying through him, this was a real person cleaning my room, that I'm still with you. And thanks you for staying with me because I was just tempted to get something I wanted really bad was out of the hospital more than anything. And he just gave me more affirmation that God was still right there with me the whole time. And I began to pray that day. And I said, God, thank you for what you did. And out of pure humility and pridefulness, I won't do anything with this, what you did, unless you put it in front of me. If you put it in front of me and it's something that you want me to do, remembering back to you'll do good things for me either way, either place, I'll do it but I won't seek any personal benefit whatsoever from sharing my story, but I will do it if you present it. And honestly, it hasn't stopped for two years. So you've told your story how many times to how many people? It's, I honestly couldn't tell you the number, but I've been interviewed by several people that do podcasts, Lee Whitting, Joey Edinburgh, yourself, three or four others, um, Spirit Daily, a couple radio shows, um, local news, Cleveland local news, and they even went and interviewed doctors at Cleveland Clinic. And Fox Nation actually came to my house for two days and did a story and put it on um, the Fox Nation streaming service, which... Um, is I think it's called Beyond and Back, and it has uh, my story in it. Guidepost Magazine contacted me and actually put a book together called Witnessing Heaven. It's a part of a series where they actually put my story with the an author and had the author Jeanette Lavelli do the do the book, and that's published last year. And I'm I'm only telling you all that not because of my benefit. I've that no, I've given every right of anything away. None of that is to my benefit. So back what I said, I, I would tell you what the real meaning became to me as I felt prayers when I was really sick. And I felt like I could never let all these people down that were praying for me. 
And the message back after when I came home, I ran into so many people that would say, boy, I wish I could experience, you know, an NDE like that. It's got to be amazing being with God. That's all true. It is amazing. It was, I don't know why me. I'm thrilled and forever thankful and blessed from it. But the real message became, I asked them, did you pray for me? And they'd say, yes. And I'd say, well, then you did just experience a miracle. I'm just the messenger. God heard your prayers. I felt them. And he acted on delivering what you prayed for. God always answers our prayers. We just might not get the answer the way that this turned out. There's always good from every bad situation somewhere down the road. Would you mind expounding on that a little bit? You said you felt the prayers. What does that mean? When I, when I was extremely, extremely sick, I felt like I was wrapped in all these prayers. I felt like they were holding me up in a sense of just keep going. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit. Matter of fact, when I woke up in the ICU in Cleveland, there was a a woman that was looking through a portal glass on the side wall. And she, no one was in there. And she was just going, don't give up. Don't quit on me. And that was how I felt that, it was almost like if I, if I would have gave up on these prayers, it was the wrong thing to do. Because now that I came back, I could tell everybody I felt them. God obviously acted on them. And I'm able to deliver the message of that God's real. He's been with me my whole life. Heaven's the promise that we were given that we, if, if you have faith in Christ, you believe that. And that's was affirmed not only in my experience, but right at my bedside by a hospital worker who stared me down and said, God has a plan. Following up with prayer. And I said, how many other, I don't know if the answer is a question or not, but I was just wrapped in that feeling of love to the point where I was emboldened to try. How religious of a person were you before this? experience you've mentioned the word god many many times here yeah were you like that before or a little different now i i had i had a lot of faith but my faith life began growing exponentially i was a very scientific person matter of fact kind of guy for most of my life um believed in god but didn't really go to church or anything like that and you hear a lot of people say that after my daughter was born my wife had a lot more faith i'll say than i did for our entire, you know, marriage. And we've been married for 34 years, September 3rd, this year. And um, when my daughter was born, it hit me like a ton of bricks that this can't be a mistake. Not that we had a baby, but that two rocks smashed together and all of a sudden everything is the way it is. And now we have kids and various kids. So it just didn't seem possible. So I started digging in faith and the Bible a little bit more than I was nominated to be um, head of our parish council. And that was out of the blue one time. And I was like, let's, what's, what's up with that? 
that I got nominated. I didn't really know many people at the church or anything like that, but I was going now because I had to adopt my daughter and um, Marie and my son, Joey. And I got picked to be the president of council. So I was involved in the church and it was more of a tactical strategic thing. I was, you know, involved in management. I was the executive vice president at the company I'd mentioned in our the division. So I, I had that approach to things. Well, over time, my faith grew stronger and I, you know, I had a stronger belief. But after my experience, it became kind of a rock solid daily thing. And um, I, I, I can't even explain how thankful I am for what happened. You know, it, it thoroughly changed me in such a way that, I don't know, it's, it's overwhelming, but humbling beyond belief at the same time. Yeah. I want to ask your opinion on something else. And, 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 and it's just your opinion, I understand. But you were given, by God, you were given a choice. And even by this evil whatever it was, you were also given a choice. Yeah. How is choice, freedom of choice or agency as we call it, such a big deal in the way things work? Free will, um, to me, plays an important part in in our faith. You know, speak, and I think God's such a gentleman that you have the option to believe or not to believe. And throughout my life, as I grew I began a stronger faith walk and I did learn about free will that we have the the gift of free will to make choices. Why I was given choices. I don't know whether it just strengthens the meaning of free will or not. I believe it has something to do with that, that I also think that I was given a choice as far as God goes, because I was able to come back and give the message about the prayer you know, the, the power of prayer and that it worked and that things are real. And I feel very blessed in a sense that I wasn't met with a lot of rejection from anybody. Um, very few people about what it took, take, taking place, you know, what the experience that I had. Yeah, that's great. So I don't know that I was given a choice as much from evil as I wouldn't go. I, I, I would resist that. I did resist that. It wasn't so much I was given a choice as much as it was, are you sure it was that it was said, but it was, I could have went or not went, but I resisted that. I'm, I guess that you've had a lot of time to think about all of these little things. And one of the ones that I'm curious, if you have an, also an opinion on this, and that is uh, you were in, in being given a choice also to, uh, well, to stay here in this world or go on to the next, and you were told that you could do good in either place. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think that meant? If you had gone on to to the spirit world, what kind of good do you think you would have been doing there? That's a really good question that no one's ever asked me, and I don't know. I think at that point, whatever he needed me to do, you know, I think that the gifts that I've been given that I've been able to use here on earth in this life may have been enhanced, accelerated or leveraged in some way, but it would have been in service, not anything else. 
And maybe there's a way over there that we can keep giving service to. That's that's kind of what I was saying. That is what I said. It would, it would have been whether the purpose that I've been built for here, right, would extend into heaven. I don't know. But I was in total happiness, peace, and confidence that whatever he wanted me to do was okay. It didn't matter. That's great. That's a good message. Okay, before we go, if somebody came up to you on the sidewalk today and said, hey, I don't know about all this God and heaven stuff, but the world is really weighing me down. It's a tough, tough place to be living right now. What would you say to them? I would say I understand life is tough. You know, we're, we're kind of on plan B, and most people want to know what that means. I, I, I've learned, you know, the original plan wasn't a life of toil. But after the Garden of Eden, right, we, we, we live a life of toil, only to the, have our promise fulfilled in heaven. I don't know that I would tell them that, but I would make sure that they understood that there is more. And I would ask, do they pray? Do they have an, a, a faith? Because that's what you need to lean on. I often tell people, if you're in a bad time right now, look backwards. Have you ever had any of the bad times? And they say, oh, yeah, five years ago, all this other stuff happened. Ten years before that, all this stuff. Like, okay, so you have to realize you're here today, but you had all those bad things happen. Why? Why are you here? If everything was going to be over every time it got bad or got tough, God's given you the power to work through things, and he'll help you. If you ask for his help or pray, I believe he will help you. And there's a lot of people that are leaning to those things right now because the world's in a state of chaos in a lot of ways. And I'm not a fatalist or an end times kind of person. Whatever God has planned is, is already his plan. So I encourage people to get deeper in their faith if they can or ask me questions if they want. I do share the experience of what happened if they are inclined. I mentioned I talked to a bunch of people. I'm being contacted by people really from all over the world. And I say as far as North Borneo, a place I never knew even existed, Malaysia, Australia, all these places, Dublin. I mean, I'm getting questions about their faith, their family life. They're in the middle of a divorce. Someone is in a bad place. Um, can you pray for someone in my family? It's just been an amazing thing that I couldn't tell you would have ever expected two years ago. Not even possible. Anything's possible. But it was it was something that I think that, again, God responded to my prayer and my thanks, giving thanks. And I said, if you put it in front of me and, and it's pure, then I'll do it. Otherwise, I won't. And if it's self-serving, I won't. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Because that was what I <clears throat> prayed and th gave thanks for. So, there, yeah, if someone runs into me, I want to give them a little bit of hope. I want them to realize they've got through other storms. I don't want them to understand partially why they might have gotten through storms. is because God's there for them all the time, even when he, they don't know it. And if they would just ask for more help, might be able to get through any times that are presented in front of them in a better way. Like my stress is, as far as I used to be a very 
um, I, stress didn't bother me. Stress motivated me and drove me. I I don't have stress. I am at peace with everything. I'm okay with the situation. <clears throat> Leaving my job, which was absolutely an amazing job for an amazing company with a great team across all platforms of the organization. To say I could do that unintentionally, like I had to because of the situation of being sick with a smile and gratitude for everything can only come from God. The person prior to that would be, I would have been a nervous wreck, scared of everything, scared of changing my circumstance, right? Income drastically changing, you know, everything. Okay. But, but it's okay. And this is what God wanted me to do. And I feel like it's a blessing. Well, Jeff, Thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I'm happy that we can be a vehicle for helping you get your message out there that you were sent to give. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate having you on the show. If you have had a round trip death experience, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you've found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, hit that follow button, and take a few seconds to write us a review. Until next time, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Music